Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. So we're continuing on with the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus's... I mean, you just turn to that part in the Bible with all the red. It just goes red. And there it is, the greatest, the extended sermon of the greatest preacher in the universe. And we're continuing on with the latter part of chapter 6. And it's about material things and it's about worrying and when I read through it my my first response is just gratitude to God that we've got this book and it's filled with spiritual imperatives but at the same time there's this really good practical element day-to-day stuff that just says I'm your heavenly father I'm invested in you I'm so interested in the small day-to-day stuff I want to be a part of every part of your life and um, it just reminds us how much, how valued we are. Is that me? Is that my beard? It's good. Okay. And we know from reading through Matthew that we need material things. And, you know, it says that God knows that we need them. But we have to balance this need for things with the greed for things which is a bit of a tightrope at times. And Albert Schweitzer said this thing that's always sort of irked me a little bit, challenged me, I should say. Anything you have that you cannot give away, you don't really own. It owns you. Ooh, that's everybody writing that one down. (laughs) That's a good one. Good good start, Fraser. Should have left that till till the end. We're picking up in verse 22, Matthew 6, 22 to 23. And if you were here this morning, Father Mark was finished up on comparing treasures, storing up treasures on earth, where everything sort of goes pear-shaped because there's thieves and there's moths and there's rust and there's Medibank Private that does stuff with your data as well, so you've got to worry about that as well. With storing things up in heaven, you can store all your wealth and your data up there and it can't be hacked. It's, it's the place to be. But in between that and talking about material things and worry, he throws in these two verses and it's almost like the guy doing the cut and paste has made a mistake because suddenly we're talking about eyeballs. But let's have a look at the eyeballs and we'll see what we can do with it. He says this, so he's just come out of store your treasures in heaven. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Which sort of fits in seamlessly, I think. It doesn't really. And the reason why is because he's using a Hebrew idiom. And he's using this idea of a healthy eye, or in some versions, a good eye. If you have a healthy eye, then you have a positive outlook on life. And you have optimistic expectations of people and situations. If you look through a dark lens, if you have an unhealthy eye, you sort of, you know, you're a bit pessimistic. You see the downside in everything. You've got a lot of bloom, not De Bono's black hat thinking in situations. You think the worst of people in most situations. So in this setting where we're talking about material things, a healthy eye says, everything I have 
is from God. Every material possession I have, including my money, is a gift from my Father above. So I'm kind of more like a steward than a holder of that. I won't hold on to it too tightly. And really, it's there for his kingdom, and it's there to use for other people for eternal outcomes. However, if you have an unhealthy eye, you'll go the other way. I'm the source of all my money. I'm the source of all my stuff. I went to school. I went to university. I got the grades. I got the job. And I bought this. This is my stuff. Stay away from my stuff. And you tend to be a bit stingy. You don't, you're not going to reflect a lot of light. So that's why that fits so well. And it leads really nicely into the next couple of verses. So thinking about that, a healthy eye, a generous eye with an unhealthy eye... He leads into verse 24. No one can serve two masters. So he's going to talk about God being your master or money being your master. Either you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one, to the one, and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Or they might say mammon in in some versions, which basically means material stuff. Now someone once said, money is a wonderful servant. It helps you bless people and look after people. There is absolutely nothing wrong with it, but it's a terrible master. So if you use it to help people and to be generous, that's a good thing. But if you're pursuing the almighty dollar, then you're going to be in bondage to it. So Jesus is saying here, who's going to be your master? Because you can't have a split devotion. Either everything goes to God or nothing. Either Jesus is Lord of your life, Lord of everything, or he's Lord of nothing. And it's a little bit like Jesus is just the penultimate gentleman, isn't he? He won't barge his way into your life. He won't bend your knee. He won't make you worship him. He'll knock at the door and wait for you to answer. But once you do answer, once you say, Jesus, come into my life, Have free range over here. Over here's my stuff, though. Just stay away from from that. It doesn't work. It's a little bit like setting fire to your kitchen and sitting in the living room and hoping the fire doesn't come in. He will consume your whole life. He will tap you on the shoulder about every aspect of your life, eventually, one at a time, hopefully, depending on what's most important at a particular time. But we need to make God Lord of our lives, not money, which is transient. Matthew 6, 25 to 26. Now we start to talk about worry. And I don't think it's a surprise that he jumps into this section because he's been talking to us about having a a healthy eye, a positive outlook, being generous with our money, realizing everything comes from God and we're just stewarding it. And the temptation then is to sort of think, if I'm generous like God, if I give out the light like he does, there might not be enough left. I'm going to end up poor and homeless. Particularly for the disciples, because they gave up their jobs. His followers, they gave up everything to follow him. And probably Jesus didn't present them with a a long itinerary. He basically said, we're going to Capernaum now, we're going to Galilee now, we're going over to here. And they probably never knew where they were going. And how refreshing is that? Knowing that back then, people who were actually walking with Jesus could still worry, 
you sort of go, I don't feel so bad now. Yes, they'd given up their work and they never knew where they were going, but they were walking with Jesus and he turns to them and says, I want to talk to you about worry because I know you're doing it. Let's us off a little bit. But this beginning verse here in 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. It's an imperative. And, and this isn't like a bondage thing. This is freeing for me. He's not saying, I want you to keep the worry down. Don't worry too much. Just a little bit every now and again is okay. He says, do not worry. It's a command. And that's a journey that we're all on. But ultimately, it's, it's a command. And I'm just going to have to stop it one day because that's what he said, don't do it. It's almost become the acceptable sin. We're going against his command. It's a journey. We've got to work it out. But ultimately, that is the gold standard that he's setting for us. There's no space for any worry if you're a follower of him. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? And he's using a little bit of a rabbinic tradition in here. One of the tricks the rabbis use, not tricks, techniques, is they move from a greater thing to a lesser thing or a lesser thing up to a greater thing. And he does both here. So the first movement is from the greater to the lesser. Okay, he talks about his life, not more than food or the body or clothes. And basically what Jesus is saying here is, this is the creator God, this is your father, he gave you life. Do you think he's not going to give you the little things that are going to sustain that life? He did the big thing. Check your pulse. Is it ticking? He's given you life. He's going to cover the food and the clothing for you. You don't need to be concerned about those things. I'm not going to buy a train set for my son Ben for Christmas. And he goes, wow, this is the best train set I've ever seen. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to see how it operates. Where's the batteries, Dad? I didn't get the batteries, but I got you the big thing. I didn't get you the $2.99 batteries, though. But, you know, who cares? Didn't get you the thing to make it work, to sustain it. But I've given you the train set. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Why would we think that God would do any less than that? And then he turns it around and he says, okay, let's uh, look at some birds. And remember, he's out there in the field. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And he would have, there would have been birdies flying around. Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? So he goes from the birds back to the value in you, the lesser to the greater. What I really love in that verse is it says, it doesn't say, it says your heavenly Father feeds them, feeds the birds. It doesn't say the birds' heavenly Father looks after them. It's our Heavenly Father. God looks after the birds, but the birds aren't made in His image. God looks after the birds, but the birds weren't made for fellowship with Him like we were. But He looks after them. Birds weren't redeemed, but we were by the blood of His Son. We are the pinnacle of His creation. If He's looking after the birds, He's going to look after us. 
And I think in between the lines, what Jesus is saying here is, yeah, you are more valuable than them. And if you ever doubt that, think about this. Who's he more inclined to look after, his people or his pets? Because birds are magnificent, but they're his pets. And that's it. When I was a young fellow and still living at home with my, my biological dad, you know, I wouldn't... I had, didn't have any cares in the world. That was his job, to worry about things. I didn't worry through any of those, those years. And I know some of us don't have that experience, but for most of us, that was true. And I'll tell you something else. I never got home from school and looked at the dog's bowl and go, wow, there's a bone with some kibble around it. I, I, what a lucky dog. I wonder what I'm going to get. Because I always got something better. Thanks, Tony. <laughs> this is the nature of our father so we're sort of getting a picture of him too so we can relieve a bit of the worry 27 to 28 can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life or in some versions it says a cubit to your stature can you be a bit taller and why do you worry about clothes see how the flowers of the field grow they do not labor or spin I need to point out, I hate writing a sermon, finding out it's for me, first of all. But anyway, it's another one of those. And uh, I feel God wants me to share a quick story on anxiety, so I'm going to have to cut a little bit out. But um, maybe 25 years ago, I was living up in Grafton, and this peculiar thing happened to me. I'd get up in the middle of the night, and I'd check the door locks all the time. I wasn't in a high-crime area. And then I started checking the taps to see if they were dripping. I don't know what it was about, but I had to do it. And I had to do it three and then four and then five times every night. It drove me absolutely nuts. don't know what it was about. And then if I checked the front door, I couldn't remember whether I checked the front door because I might be remembering checking the front door the night before or I might be checking, remember checking the front door a couple of hours before. And so what I'd do is I'd pinch myself really, really hard, and I go, I check the front door because that's the place where I pinch myself when I check the front door. And I went through this system, and I thought, this is too much. And I went to the GP, and the GP said, you're depressed. I said, I don't feel depressed. He said, you're depressed. You need to go on Zoloft. So I went on Zoloft, and everything sort of got better for a while. And then I thought, it's been a couple of years. I better get off the Zoloft. So I was taking two a night. I cut it down to one, I then cut it down to a half. And then I cut it down to a half every two days. And I thought, this is brilliant. I've gone from two a night to half every two days. I'm just going to stop. Yes. And that's when life got interesting. And for some reason, when the sun went down, I couldn't breathe. It was like the air itself had been stained black and there was no oxygen in the air, and I'd be running around the house gulping, trying to, and hyperventilating. And the only way I could regulate it was I'd go for a run, because then I would put my respiratory system under stress, and I wouldn't get too much oxygen in. That was the only way I could <laughs> calm down as I was coming off Zoloft, but I, I kept doing it. it. It took probably six months. And so I was teaching in school. The kids were loving having me in the classroom. 
But if they came around to my place at three in the morning, they would see me in my pyjamas running down the street. I didn't even know what it was about. I don't know what caused it, but that was the way it just manifested. It just happens, doesn't it? Sometimes you just worry about things. For me, I just couldn't stop that tap dripping. So I, I get it. If there's anyone here, and I want to be sensitive to people who experience depression or, or anxiety, because a lot of what Jesus is saying is, cut it because of this. And there's some useful stuff in here, but it, it is a process, and I get it. Okay, did I read that? Can any one of you by worrying at a single... Yes, I did. David Jeremiah says this, you don't need to be worried about being concerned, but you do need to be concerned about worry. We need to find a way to cut it out. It's a waste of time. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't lengthen your life. It shortens it. It gives you ulcers. It gives you anxiety. It can give you depression. It doesn't change anything outside of us. It changes so much inside of us that isn't really, really good for us. So if we get this fresh revelation tonight of God, his character, his promises, and that we can trust him, we can start to put it, put it away. Verses 29 to 30. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you of ye, O ye, O you, I nearly went New King James, Old King James, you of little faith. Again, talking about grass, it's like the, the birds, transitory creatures. And we are worth so much more. I remember he's talking to people who probably, what they got on their back, that's it. They haven't got much more than that. But we have that tendency too. Annette's not here tonight, Annette. She will go to her cupboard on a church morning and go, there's nothing here for me to wear. There is absolutely nothing. I'm far more spiritual than that. I just go to the pantry and go, there's nothing here to eat. What is desiccated coconut anyway? <laughs> it's just a cruel trick. But that's our tendency. We think like that too. And we need to... Be grateful for what we have, for the abundance that we actually do have and to use it for God's kingdom. 31 to 32. Going back to the dark side here with um, Darth Vader. Probably not the best father you could pick. Let's read through it. Jesus says it again. He says this three times. This is three commandments not to worry. So do not worry. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Getting back to clothes and church, when I first married Annette, I'd get dressed for church, and she would say, ah, oh, you're wearing that to church. And it sounds like a question, <laughs> but it isn't. It means go and get changed with my recommendations. But I turned up a few weeks ago with Ben, and she said, is that what Ben's wearing? And I went, well, obviously. <laughs> but I didn't realize that when he bent, there was a rip in his pants, and she, it wasn't a designer rip that you pay $500 for. It was just a rip that happened. And she said, you've brought him to church with a tear in his pants. 
I didn't really worry. If I took him to St. Philip's on a Monday morning to the school and he had tears in his pants and, you know, half his sleeve was coming off and his hair was messed up and there were a couple of little blue eggs in the top and those sorts of things, then I'd be stressed because he'd, if somebody said to him, where's your father? Oh, he's, he's over there by the car. I'd be like, Luke, remember Empire Strikes Back when Darth Vader said, no, I am your father. And Luke went, no, I don't want a really bad father. That's what Ben to be saying. No, I don't want that dad over there. I don't want people to think I've got a deadbeat dad. But I think this is what Jesus is saying here too. Don't do the, Don't worry about what you'll eat and drink and wear because that's what the pagans do. And I feel like, as Jesus saying, I, he would probably want to scream, no, my heavenly father is not like that. My heavenly father isn't a deadbeat dad. Greg Bloomberg says, anxiety characterized pagan religions, which were dominated by fears of a capricious and despotic deity who constantly had to be appeased. Worry creates a false image of God in the eyes of the world. It presents an untrustworthy disinterested, impotent God who can't take care of you and can't take care of your family. That for me is a good reason to not worry because I don't want to present that sort of an image to my neighbours and to my friends. That's not what my God's about. I've gone a little bit over. I might go to the graph because I think that's really, really useful and then I'll wind up quick. I thought we should look at what we worry about. Got this off the internet, so we know it's true. <laughs> this is, these are the things that people worry about in their daily lives. 40% in the green are things that will never happen. 40% is that you worry about is stuff that you ne it's never going to be there. You'll never have to deal with. Then in the purple, there's 30% that is the past. We worry about the past. Can't change it can't do something that we should have done, can't undo something that we did do that we shouldn't do. So forget it. That's 70% of your worrying comes to nothing. 12% other people's criticism, which is mostly untrue. That's 12%. When you reach 50, you kind of go, I don't care what people think anyway. And then this is a good one. 10% is health. Your bodily health made worse because you're worrying. So if you weren't worrying about it, it wouldn't be up there anyway. 8% is stuff that are legitimate fears. It still may not happen. That's the stuff we worry about. Let's flick over. 33, 34, I'll speed it up. This is some really good stuff from Jesus. Seek first his kingdom. Getting back to the healthy eye. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for, wor for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I believe that when we take care of God's business, He takes care of ours. We make Him a priority, He makes us a priority, and that's why we look after the kingdom first. But the reason why worry is so overwhelming at times is because 
we worry about tomorrow. We're sitting here in today. I'm now going to be anxious about what's happening tomorrow and the next few days after that. And you know what? Yesterday and the day before that, there was this stuff I did that I shouldn't have and something I should have stepped up to do and I didn't do it. So I'm going to pull that stuff from yesterday forward into today. I'm going to pull the stuff in the future back here. And I'm going to cram this 24 hours with about four or five days. That's why we worry so much. God gives us our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. His mercies are new every day, not every week. We need to function in the day. He separated each day by darkness so that we'd see the difference. We do it just today. I mean, I'm running down my, in the darkness in my pajamas, but um, that's a different thing. Corrie Temboon said, Worrying doesn't drain tomorrow of its sorrow. It drains today of its strength. So live in today. Don't pick a fight with tomorrow. Now. Don't pick a fight with tomorrow. Anyone can get through 24 hours without worrying. You're going to have enough food for 24 hours? Yes. You're going to survive that time at work with that awkward boss? Yes. You know that temptation that's really been ripping you apart? Can you put that to one side for 24 hours? Yes. We will need to work in packets of 24 hours. And the second thing, I'm pulling this from Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We put his kingdom first, and whatever is worrying us outside of that, we put it at his feet in prayer. And the peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. So anything you're worried about, give it to God in prayer, and he will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus Christ. But often we don't do that. Often it's the last thing we do. J David Scriven wrote, Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Anything you're worried about, have you taken it to God in prayer? Our main points. Invest what you have generously in ways that have eternal consequences. Remember, money is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. God is your master. Seek first the kingdom. Bring everything in prayer. Finally, a quick quote by Bill Keane. And this is a this is your takeaway. Yesterday's the past, tomorrow's the future, but today is a gift, and that's why it's called the present. So take the present and live in today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful practical section here in the Bible. You are so concerned with every aspect of our life. Help us to remember that every good thing that we have, it came from you. It's from our wonderful, benevolent Father. So we need to steward it carefully. We need to work it for your kingdom. We need to be generous for others. And right now, with every eye closed and every head bowed, 
God promises that perfect peace for us. When we worry, if we take it to him in prayer, he will give us a peace that goes beyond all understanding. He will guard our hearts and our minds. And there's some people that really need that today. Things you've been struggling with for a long time, things that really keep you up at night, affect your relationships, affect your work. So there, if there is anything that you want to be released from, experience that perfect peace from God, would you slip up your hand now? Thank you. It's been, it's been preying on you. It's been turning your life upside down in this upside down world that Jesus is trying to turn the right way up. Just slip up that hand. If you want that to end, we'll finish it tonight. Thank you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, for those people that put their hands up, Lord, we thank you. We are taking it collectively in prayer to you. Where two or three are gathered in your name, you're in the midst. And Lord, I know you're receiving those worries, those concerns, that anxiety, that depression now, whatever the circumstance is. You've promised us that perfect peace that goes beyond all understanding. I pray for these people. Tomorrow, other people are going to say, you look different. You look at peace. And that's still happening. How are you at peace? And the simple answer is, it is beyond understanding. But you're a good God. And you look after us. And we are so much more valuable to you. We are your people. We're not your pets. And you do a great job of looking after your pets. So as the pinnacle of your creation, Lord, we realize the value that you put in relationship with us. Why wouldn't you look after us so well? May we spend our time and our efforts on your kingdom and your people in response to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.